right. Good morning. How are you guys doing today? You guys all have a Merry Christmas? All right. You ready to have a Happy New Year? Well, you chose the right way to start it by coming to church. So the Lord will, may, may he bless you for that. So we're going to get right into service today. But before we did, I was just really blessed because um, I ended my, I, I have a, a yearly Bible reading plan where I try to get through the Bible in a year. <clears throat> and so um, I've done that for several years now. And uh, so I always end up in the same spot, Revelation 22. It's the last, last chapter of the New Testament. And so anyways, this promise that Jesus gives us at the end of it never gets old. Um, and it's always a good reminder. He says there in Revelation 22:20, 20, he who testifies to these things, that'd be Jesus, says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That's John's response to him, uh, John the Apostle, who's getting this vision from God that led to him writing the book of Revelation. And it says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. If you guys are familiar with the Old Testament, you know that the Old Testament kind of ends with uh, a message of judgment because the Old Testament, which speaks of the law or this the, the, the things God said that you, you have to do in order to be perfectly right with him so you could be just. As we all, we've talked about many times as we've learned about the gospel, as we go through God's word, there's no way you can follow the law perfectly. So all it leads to is judgment. But when Jesus came to this earth, what that did, he did what we could not do in being willing to die and pay the price for our sins so we could be forgiven of and made right. And now, through your faith in Jesus Christ, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with us all. Amen? Amen. So I love this promise at the end of Revelation because we just got done celebrating the first coming of Jesus when he was born as a baby. But part of the good news is that Jesus is going to come again. And when he comes again, he's going to come as a king and he's going to set everything on this earth right as it was intended to be. And so that's what we're waiting for. The whole entire Bible has this theme of expectancy. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was saying, I'm coming soon. So we're to be ready because at any day, he could come. Amen? Amen. And we should look forward to it. I mean, the longer I follow Jesus, the more I look forward to that because I see how really bad this world is because of sin. And sin has a way of tainting everything. Even the good things eventually get tainted by sin, and that, that's gonna happen. The Bible tells us it's just gonna keep getting worse. So that doesn't shock us. Things aren't really falling apart. They're just falling into place for the Christian because we see things happening as they should. But what that tells us is it's getting sooner. Amen. The, the, today could be the day, and that's something that excites us because we look forward to the day of the Lord because it's a day of, a day of rejoicing for us. But the other part of this is that until the Lord comes, while we're waiting, the grace of the Lord is with you. God's favor is on you and on your life. So that truly gives us every reason to celebrate and rejoice. Amen? Amen. And that's what we're going to start out by doing as we go into this new year. We're going to start out by praising God. So let me pray, and we will be worshiping him. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for the promise of your soon return, Lord. We eagerly look forward to the day we see you face to face. 
But until that time, we're thankful that your spirit's inside of us. We get to see glimpses of your, you in our lives every day, Lord, as, as you're faithful to keep your word, as you're faithful to comfort us in ways that only you can, as you're, as you're faithful to answer our prayers, as we see those evidences of God's goodness in our lives. You give us reason after reason to praise you, Lord based off the things you say to us and the things you actually do in in keeping all those promises. So we wanna come before you. We come together to celebrate this end of a year and acknowledge that once again, you've been faithful and good to us every day of this year. Even in the hard things, Lord, we, some of us have really seen how you work those, those things that the enemy would mean for evil for our good, just as you promised. Some of us are still waiting to see the good things you're going to do in, in those difficult things we're going through. But we trust you because you've always been good. You've always been faithful. So we know we'll see that one day. And we're thankful that you're with us, sustaining us, helping us persevere, giving us your grace so that we can get through them when we, there's no way we could without you. But with you, we can do the things we can't do apart from you. And we come here today to praise you for all those reasons and so many more, Lord. So, Father, may you even be ministering to us now, reminding us of the things we have to give you thanks for as we sing these truths to you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. We're going to leave the lights off for the whole service today because we're doing something special. Um, If you guys have gone to this church for any amount of years, you know that over the last couple of years, we've started a tradition where we really want to take some time at the end of the year to just think about uh, the good things God's done in this last year and to thank him for those things, those instances of his faithfulness, and then to offer opportunity to share those testimonies with our brothers and sisters because if you're anything like me, we, we, have, we can say like theologically we believe like God's good and we don't have to think too hard to see instances of his goodness in our life, but we can lose sight of that really easily. We can lose sight of that because we're going through hard things that aren't good and those consume our thoughts. We can just kind of be caught up with the busyness of life that we don't take the time to do it. David actually talks about this in Psalm 103 Uh, Verse two, he says, let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. So that the may in that verse actually indicates that he understood that, hey, I, I might forget these good things or I have a tendency to forget the good things God does for me. So may all that I am, like the idea is that I'm, I'm gonna put effort into this. I'm gonna give it my all to make sure that I don't ever forget the good things God does. I'm gonna give him the praise that he deserves. And there's many other great examples in God's word of his people doing this very thing, being intentional to praise God for the things he's doing and the things he's done in their life. And we're gonna look at one of those examples today from 1 Samuel 3 before we go on with the service. And I think we'll have it up on the board here, hopefully, uh, if you can't see in your Bible, don't try to go blind, but we'll put it up there. But just to give you an idea on where we're at in scripture. So first Samuel uh, chapter seven, um, 
is, a, is a, a place in the nation of Israel's life. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, there's this repeated pattern of God's people that they follow God, things are great, and then they, they, they lose sight of God for whatever reason. They get caught up in sin. They start going after you know, wealth or prosperity, things in the world that are attractive, and they depart from God, and then things get really bad until they get to a point of realizing how, things, how good things were with God, and then they go back to God. Often that can be our lives to some degree. Like we, we can, you know, we, things are good. We, we give glory to God for a certain time, and then we start to forsake him because and, and we're not being intentional about giving him thanks, and we lose sight of him. We get caught up in things in the world. Things get really bad till we get to the point of realizing, man, we need to go back to God where things were good. So that's what the nation of Israel is happening in their time, and they're, they're at a point of sin, and um, we just went through this recently, I think when we were going through Romans 8, this account of where they go into battle and they have the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was this like chest, if you will, for back of, uh, lack of a better word, but it was a chest, it was this, this thing God had his people make that would be in the place where they worshiped him, the most holy place, the, the temple where God created so they could come and, or told them to create so they could have a place and come and worship him. And it represented his presence, like his presence would reside there with the, the, the Ark of the Covenant in the most holy of holies. And so it represented God's presence, but there was nothing really special about the box other than God gave it to them as kind of like he does in our lives sometimes, a tangible thing to help us put our faith in him, not in the thing, but in him. He doesn't want us hoping in a box or, you know, like any tangible thing, but he wants us to be hoping in him and putting our faith in him. But he knows that sometimes those tangible things can help us do that. But they go into battle with this Ark of the Covenant and their hope is in the box instead of God. And so the box fails them, basically. They get beat by the Philistines. The Philistines capture that ark. They take it with them. If you guys remember the story, they put it in their temple with their false god Dagon, and Dagon falls over. His head gets cut off. And then a whole bunch of uh, plagues happen to the people, and they realize that, all right, this is not good that we have their ark of the covenant that represents their god. We're gonna send it back to them. So it goes back to them. And then it says in 1 Samuel 2, the ark remained in Kiriath-Jerim for a long time, 20 years in all. During, the time all Israel, during that time, all Israel mourned because it seemed the Lord had abandoned them. That, that word seems really important because here's the thing. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, God will never abandon you, okay? When it seems he's abandoned you, usually that's my fault. It's not his. He's there. I'm just neglecting him. I'm, I'm not giving him the attention he deserves. I'm caught up into other things. And that's what happened with them. They had departed from God. He hadn't departed from them. He was there ready for them to repent and come back to him. But it seemed to them he had abandoned them because of the sin in their life, because they had been going after these other worldly things. And it says in 1 Samuel 3, Samuel said to all the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart. That's what we call repentance. Repentance is when we go from a place of going away from God, going towards God. So he says, if you're, if you're repenting, if, if you are going to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods in the Ashtoreth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand 
of the Philistines or basically their enemies. So Samuel, a prophet of God, a priest, basically tells God's people, all right, well, if, if you truly want to return to God, you can do that. But here's the thing, get rid of the things in your life that are distracting you from them. All these idols, they're, they're not real and they're just causing this friction between you and God. As God's word tells us, you can't serve two masters. A divided heart will inevitably lead you away from God. It's gotta be God and God alone. And so he, he reminds them, you gotta get rid of these things and then return to God. And then what you're gonna see is these victories the enemy's having over you, they're self-inflicted. As soon as you return to God, you're gonna experience that victory that he can only come through him in your life. And then he says in verse four, so the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashereth, or they got rid of, they surrendered willingly those things in their life that they saw were keeping them from being close with God that were distracting them from God. And they served the Lord only. And then Samuel said to gather all Israel at Mitzpah, and I'll pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mitzpah and they drew water, poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. So Samuel kind of leads them in, in a, a group time of prayer and fasting, something we're gonna be focusing on next month. And they, they come to this place of humility. They're, they're seeking God, that fasting is kind of like we saw for Christmas service, if you were here, how the wise men brought gifts to Jesus to show their devotion to him, to show that, hey, you know, these things that are worth a lot in the world, they're not worth anything to us compared to being with you. You're worth far more. That's what we do when we fast. We're basically saying, I'll go without this stuff because being with you, God, is the most important thing in my life. So they pray and they fast and they come to this humble place of realizing that it was their sin that was causing this trouble in their life and they admit it openly to God. And then Samuel, it says, and Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mitzpah. Now, when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mitzpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. So they're, they're repenting, they're, they're coming back to God and the enemy attacks. And this is what happens in our lives sometimes when we're, 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 we're making progress in our relationship with God. We're getting rid of those things that are keeping us from him, distracting us from him. The enemy will try to do something to distract you from going to him because that's the last place he wants you to go. He wants you to be in that place of defeat instead of the place of victory that can only come when you're close to God, when you're with God. And so the enemy here is the Philistines and they attack them and they're afraid, but they respond correctly because it says in verse eight, and the people of Israel said to Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord, our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So they turned to God instead of trying to fight the battle on their own like they did the first time when they lost, they turned to God for help. And so Samuel took a nursing lamb, offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. That was something under the law that they did as a part of their worship to God. And, and Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel and the Lord answered him. So he prayed and the Lord answered. And it says in verse 10, and Samuel was offering up the burnt offering. The Philistines drew near to attack Israel, but the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion. And they were defeated before Israel. 
And the men of Israel went out from Mitzpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Beth Car. And then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mitzpah and Shin and called its name Ebenezer, which means stone of help. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. Or Samuel acknowledges up to this point, God has been faithful to take care of us, keep his promises to us, be good to us. Verse 13, so the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. And the cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath. And Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. So God gives them this miraculous victory in response to basically them repenting of their sin, going back to God, removing those things that were distracting them from him, and and approaching him in humility for help instead of trying to fight this battle on their own. He gives them this great victory. But the things I want you to note or take away today, because we're gonna put these things in the practice, is that what we see Samuel do here is take the time to intentionally think, think, and tell of all the Lord did for them And in doing so, he gives us an example of first, we want to be those that are thinking of the good things the Lord has done for us. Now, just like Samuel here, and as I said earlier and before I even started reading through that passage, is that I need to intentionally take the time to think about or remember the specific instances of God's faithfulness in my life, just like we see Samuel do here. Otherwise, the reality is I have a tendency to just forget about them. And I need to do this because those past instances of God's faithfulness are what are gonna help me have faith in the present, especially if I'm facing something hard like adversity where my thoughts so easily wander into the what ifs or the things that I don't like about what's going on or that I don't understand, which can lead to anxiety and worry. Now I've shared this before and I'm gonna share it again in case you weren't here the first time I shared it. Did you know that it is impossible to have feelings of anxiety or feelings of gratitude at the exact same time? You cannot do it. And here's the reason why. This is scientifically proven. You are welcome to fact check this, okay? Both feelings cannot occur at the same time because it's your same part of your brain that's responsible for both those feelings. So when you have feelings of, of um, like fear or anxiety or worry, basically what that does in that part of your brain, I don't know that, the, I don't have all the scientific names for this, but I did look this up just to make sure this is right. But when you have, when you're fearful or when you're worried, that part of your brain produces chemicals that make you feel very bad. But when you have an attitude of gratitude, or thanks, that same part of your brain produces chemicals that actually make you feel really good. So in order to combat anxiety and worry in your life, I can intentionally think about all the good things God has done for me, which will lead to me having gratitude or being thankful, which is the next thing I wanna talk about. First, we wanna remember those things. We wanna think about those things God's done that are good. And then we wanna thank God for those good things he's done for us. And after I 
think about something good that God's done, an instance of his faithfulness, if you think about it, that's the only rational way to respond, right? Is to give him thanks. But again, if you don't intentionally take the time to do that, you might not do it. But praise and worship is our natural response to God's goodness and faithfulness in our lives. And this is what Samuel does here in setting up a stone or a place of worship to remember what God had done for him in this instance. And so too with us, when we think about those, er those things God's done that are good and he's been faithful, and then we take the time to thank him for those things, it can change our attitude that we might have of despair and anxiety that can come from dwelling on adverse circumstances to an attitude of thankfulness and praise as we trust God to continue to do what he's already done so many times before in our lives. And as I said before, scientifically, gratitude is the proven method to combat fear and anxiety. And actually, some of you guys might have experienced this when people go to get treatment for anxiety and fear. Sometimes they, they, they prescribe medication. A lot of the times, though, that's just to cover the symptoms. It's not really addressing the problem. But sometimes, and you guys might have experienced this, they'll actually prescribe you to do this very thing in that they'll tell you you need to journal or meditate on good thoughts, on things to be thankful for, and they'll help you not have an attitude of despair or anxiousness. And of course, this is not new information. This is what the Lord already tells us in his word. In Philippians 4, 6 through 9, he says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. So don't just pray and ask, but at, when you're praying, also take the time to think and thank God for all the instances of his past faithfulness and his goodness in your lives. Then, this is the result, you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. So it's a peace that's not based on what you can see or perceive. It's a peace based on the God that's in charge of everything that's going on. The sovereignly in control that's promised to work things for your good. And it says his peace will guard your hearts and minds that often being with where your fear and anxiety develop, but it'll guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Remember, it's the fact that we're in Jesus through our faith in him that provides you all the reason to be hopeful. We just went through this in Romans 8 where we saw reason after reason, God's benefits we've received from being in Jesus. And those give you every reason to be thankful and hopeful and joyful. It's in Jesus that we can have peace. And he goes on to say in verse eight, and now dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. All the things God tells you that you are in Jesus, all the promises that you have, those are what are honorable and right and pure and lovely. Think about the promises of God's word. And then in verse nine, keep putting into practice all you've learned and received from me, everything you've heard from me and saw me doing, or make sure that your, your life's in line with God's word. Because if it's not, if we're living contrary to God's word, that's probably where the, uh, contributing to our fear and anxiety because 
we face the consequences for that. So he says, think about what God's word says. Make sure your life's lining up with it. Then the God of peace will be with you. See, God understands. We have a tendency to be fearful and worried, and he doesn't want you to be. And he gives you the remedy in his word to combat that fearfulness and that anxiety. And science already backs up, just backs up what God's already told us long ago. And acknowledging the amazing work of God in our lives through thinking and thanking him for it should lead us to outwardly worship him for those things. And that leads to the third point in that we need to be those that are telling others of the Lord's faithfulness in our lives. And this is what Samuel does here by naming the stone he set up Ebenezer, which meant till now the Lord has helped us so that when anyone passed that stone and they saw it and they heard about these stories of why it was named that and what it meant, they would hear of God's faithfulness to his people. Telling people about God's goodness in our lives does, serves two things. It, it does two things. One of them is it, it allows God to glorify himself because we are able to tell others how real he is by the things he's done in our lives. But the other thing it does is it encourages you because it reminds you when you're sharing with somebody else, it's like, oh yeah, God did this, God did that. And it reminds me that, well, shoot, if he's been faithful to keep his word to me now, surely he's not gonna fail me now. He's not, he, didn't, he hasn't been faithful up to this point to just leave me hanging. He's gonna see me through to the end, just like he's promised in Philippians 1, 6, where it says, Paul says, and I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Amen? All right. So the first thing we're gonna do we're gonna, we're gonna keep worshiping, but while we're worshiping, there's some other things I want you guys to intentionally make sure you do today. And that first thing is to think about this last year. You've got 365 days where God had opportunity after opportunity to show his grace, his favor in your life. And as I was praying earlier, some of us went through some hard things. Some of us are still going through hard things. And some of us have gotten to see what God was teaching us or how he used those hard things for our good or how he brought good out of those bad things that we face from living in a fallen world. Some of us are still waiting to see that, not trying to minimize the hard things. And if you're especially somebody that's still going through something hard, we of all people need to be reminded that you know God's been good. He's been faithful. He says he's gonna keep being good. God gives us the final outcome for our benefit so we can be hopeful. We often get caught up in the details, but those are easy for God to do. All you really need to know is it's gonna be all right. But we need to be thinking about those instances of God's goodness so that our mind's in that right place and not on that hard thing we're going through. But what we're gonna do during these times of worship, I'm gonna encourage you, think about God's goodness in your life. Think about his faithfulness in the last year. Thank him for it. When we're singing these songs of praise, don't just be flinging words up into the air. Be talking to God about these things. Mean them. Put instances in your life to these words that you're singing so that you really mean what you're saying to God. And then at your discretion, 
you're gonna come up here, grab a stone, there's a marker here you can use, and write a word or words, whatever you can fit on it. And take that as like an Ebenezer stone, just a reminder that God's been good to me in this way, through this thing. Maybe even just a reminder you need because you're going through something hard that God is gonna be good. I'm gonna see it. I'm gonna see the victory Jesus is already won. I'm, I'm more than a conqueror. I'm not waiting for a victory. Or I'm not trying to win a victory, but I'm, I'm waiting to see the victory Christ is already won for me. But take that stone, and you have a couple options to do with that. You can, you can, there's a pile of stones out in front of the church, out in that front planter along the road there that you can add it to. Or you can take it home and put it somewhere where you're gonna see it every day. The heart of that is just, it's a reminder of you through this whole next year that God has been good, that God has been faithful, that God will continue to be good and he will continue to be faithful. So when we surely go through those hard situations we're gonna go through in this next year, should the Lord tarry, not come back and get us or us go to be with him, we can have that right frame in mind that, but God's gonna be good again. He's gonna be faithful. He's gonna keep his word to me. Amen? Amen. So Isa and, and Jody are gonna lead us in worship, and this is just on your own. As you feel led, you're gonna think about God's goodness in this last year. You're gonna thank him for it, and then you're gonna come up and get a stone and write an instance of that goodness, something to remind you of it, so you have that, just as the Israelites did in this example. Amen? May we be like David, where we don't forget the good things that you've done for us. May we be intentional like him to think about these things, to thank you for them. May these, these Ebenezer stones for us be the same as they were for Samuel and your people then, these reminders of how you've been faithful up to this point in our lives so we can be hopeful for what's to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, for the first half of the service, I wanted to focus on thinking and thinking and, and telling what the Lord's done in this last year. But as followers of Jesus, it's not just about like loving the past, as it says up there, or loving the things that the Lord's done. It's also about wanting to live in the future um, or to prayerfully look forward to what it is that God wants to do because we say this often, but this is what scripture tells us is that God is always working because constantly we're works in progress, right? We're constantly being conformed to the image of Jesus until we're with the Lord and we're like him. So this is a never ending process and we want to be those that are in a sense allowing the the potter to, to mold the clay. We wanna be moldable, if you will. We wanna be those that are ready and, and expectant and, and, and surrendered and submitted to what it is that God wants to do so that we can allow him to do that. We don't slow that process down. We don't get in the way or we don't miss out on what it is that God's trying to do in us and, and through us. And we see the Lord encourages people in this truth in, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah a book that, speaks a lot of, about God's judgment on his people because, again, they had gotten to this really bad place 
in the history of Israel where they completely departed from God. They weren't even using his temple to worship him anymore, but every other idol that was out there. And God has to do something drastic to, as a form of discipline to, to get their attention, and that is allow this, this country, Babylon, to, this foreign nation to come in and conquer his people and, and take them away into exile for 70 years knowing that that's what it would take to get them to a place of repentance so that he could ultimately restore them back to their promised land and to a relationship with him. But um, it's not just a book of judgment. It also includes promises by God that he's ultimately gonna use that judgment as, as discipline for their good, that to get them to this place of this repentance where he can do these future promises he was making. He told them up front, he's like, you're gonna repent. I know this is gonna be hard, but you're, you're gonna come to a place of remembering how things were good with me and you're gonna come back to me and I'm gonna restore you at that point. And so in Isaiah 43, starting in verse 14, it says, this is what the Lord says, your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sakes, or basically for your benefit, I will send an army against Babylon forcing the Babylonians to flee in those ships they are so proud of. Again, Babylon being the country that conquered them, but God telling them right here that I'm gonna send an army to defeat them. And he goes on in verse 15, he says, for I am the Lord, your holy one, Israel's creator and king. I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all its chariots and horses and I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned. Their, their lives snuffed out like a smoldering candle wick. The Lord reminding them of another time in history where he saved them from a, a, a nation. Basically, he had brought them out of Egypt where they were in bondage and the Egyptians came after him and miraculously he parted the Red Sea and, and saved them from them. So he's reminding them, I've done it before, I can do it again. My past faithfulness should give you trust in, in, in this present situation, this hardship you're in. Verse 18, he says, but forget all that. It is nothing compared to what I'm gonna do, for I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. The, the wild animals in the fields will thank me, the jackals and the owls too, for giving them water in the desert. Yes, I will make rivers in the dry wasteland so my chosen people can be refreshed. Now, I said this already, how sometimes we can be caught up in the details when God gives us you know, a, a, an overall promise, something good, like he says he's gonna be good, he's gonna work things for our good, but we wanna know the details in between. Well, he had told them, I'm gonna restore you to the land. You're gonna come to this place of repentance, you're gonna be restored, I'm gonna bring you back home. But what they were focused on, well, that's a long way to go back home. Just like the wise men had to travel through all that desert to get to Jesus, they would have to travel through all that desert to come from Persia or from Babylon, Persia area, to get back to Israel. And he's saying, okay, these are just details. I really told you, you're gonna make it. You're gonna be all right. Trust me, I've got the details figured out. I can work all this out. I can make water in the desert so you guys are sustained. And he goes on and he says, I have made Israel for myself and they will someday honor me before the whole world or he gives them this, again, overall um, promise of you're, you're gonna praise me again. You're, you're gonna be made into this great nation again. I'm gonna restore you to back what you were before you had departed from me. So he tells his people in verses 16 through 17 to remember the past, all right? Specifically, remember the great things I've done for you. 
But then in verse 18, he also tells them, forget the hard things or this season you're going through right now of difficulty because of your sin, but in exile, don't dwell on that or don't get so caught up in that that you're missing out on the new and even greater things that I want to do. This hardship is a temporary situation, but I am working it for your good and I don't want you to be so caught up in this difficulty that you're not seeing the things I'm trying to teach you so you're ready to move forward into them when they happen. And this is just a good reminder for us because that's how it can be sometimes. Like we get so caught up in the difficult things, we're not looking at them from the right perspective. We're just looking at them from the perspective, I don't like this, this is difficult, I don't understand how this is gonna be for my good, that we're completely not looking to God to teach us or to show us what it is he's trying to teach us And so when he is trying to show us things, when he is trying to do new and better things, we're completely missing them because of our despair. And so like the nation of Israel, we need to be be reminded to not be so caught up in the past that we're not looking forward to the future where we're gonna see God do something good and new and better. Also, change in itself can be really hard. And if we're not surrendered and submitted to God or approaching him with kind of this attitude of being a living sacrifice, like Paul tells us in Romans 12, which we'll talk more about that next month, but if we're not approaching him that way, we're, we won't be ready for it or we'll be resistant to it because, well, I, I like things the way they are. I'd rather just stay here. I don't, I don't know how things are gonna be there. And this happened to the nation of Israel too because if you guys know what happened with them, when God after 70 years kept his promise and said you guys can start going home, only a small amount of them did. Because after 70 years of living in Babylon, which was a prosperous place, they'd grown comfortable. And so they weren't looking with a surrendered and submitted heart to do what God wanted for them, what God said would be better for them. They just kind of, well, this is what we've always done, this is where we're at, and this is kind of comfortable, so I just wanna stay here. And they missed out on getting to go back to the bigger and better things God had for them back in the promised land that he gave them because they weren't ready for those things. They weren't looking for them. They weren't surrendered and submitted to those things. So as we continue in worshiping the Lord, I just want us to be mindful that God has been working and he is working and he's gonna be working in our lives in this next year. And he's got new things to do in you, better things to do through you. And we want to be ready for whatever those are. We don't want to, again, be focused on So focused on the hardship, again, I'm not minimalizing how hard things can be. They're difficult, but we don't wanna be so caught up in that difficulty that we're we're not looking to God to do the good things he's going to do through that difficulty so that we miss him when he's actually doing them. We wanna make sure we're like, all right, Lord, we're relying on him to get us through it, to help us persevere and endure so we can see the things he's trying to teach us so that we're being renewed, we're being changed, and we can experience the freedoms and the 
joy and the peace that come with that. We, we also don't wanna be so comfortable. Comfortable is a bad word as a Christian because it can lead to being stagnant. And is there ever anything alive in stagnant water? It just produces death, right? We wanna be those that are constantly empty vessels, if you will, so God can just be filling his, his water of life, his Holy Spirit inside of us, which you gotta be, we gotta be submitted to so that first, because he's not gonna fill us with the Spirit to do our will, we gotta be submitted and surrendered to what it is he wants for us, and then he can fill us so that we're able through his power to do those things. So those changes he wants to happen can actually happen. We can't change ourselves. God can change us, but we gotta let him. So it's so important that we are in this mindset of approaching God with surrender, with submission, just ready for whatever it is he, it, it, that he wants to do. And he might not have something right now, but just being in that place will allow us to hear his voice when he does and listen and obey, amen? So let's spend these next few moments as we continue to worship God just with that thought, just focusing, coming to God with, in a sense, just offering him yourself as a sacrifice, just making sure you're in that place of, Lord, whatever it is you want, just as Jesus, when he was in the garden and the realization of what he was gonna have to do on the cross was coming to him and, and he was sweating blood and just this realization he was gonna be separated from the Father, which he'd never been as, as all the sin of mankind was placed on him. And he said, Lord, take this cup, if it can be done another way, but your will, not my will. Just that submission. Lord, whatever it is you want, I know that's good and I'm, I'm submitted to it. Let's make sure we have that heart with the Lord. As we were singing that song, I just had this image of a fire with logs being thrown into it to stoke it. And I was thinking of how in Samuel, when we were reading how the Israelites, when they were part of their repentance was action, they, they saw these things in their lives that were these idols that were distracting them from God. And what really showed is that they were repentant and they wanted him was that they brought these things to the Lord, said, take them. I don't want them, I want you. And I just was sensing that the Lord is putting some of those things on our hearts right now and they're gonna act as logs to start that fire. If you're willing to give them to God, he'll take them and burn them and replace them with his fire, with his spirit inside of you so that you can experience everything that he desires which will be so much more than anything you could ever give up. Lord, you deserve applause after applause, Father. We come here today and we are just filled with joy at thinking of all you've done, Lord, and we are excited and ready for all it is you're gonna do. You haven't come back yet. We haven't gone to you, so you're not done yet. 
There's work that you want to do in us and through us. And we praise you ahead of time for what it's going to be because we've seen nothing but evidence of your goodness in our lives. And we know that we'll continue to see that, Lord. So we go from here ready for all those things you have us for us in this new year, rejoicing in what you've already done. And all God's people said, amen. 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 God bless you and happy new year.